we welcome you to Laguna Presbyterian Church, and especially those who are visiting with us. We're so glad that you're here with us today. Let us pray together. Lord, uh, you have promised to be with us to the end of the age. You've filled us with your Holy Spirit. You've come to dwell within us. You grow the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. You are the source of every moment of peace that we experience. We pray that even in times when we walk through deep waters and we think we're going to drown, or when we find ourselves in blazing furnaces of fire, that we will be reminded that we are not separated from your love. Because if God be with us and for us, who can be against us? Anoint us now this morning as we listen to your word and sing your praises. We pray in your name. Amen. Join me in the responsive call to worship that you'll find printed in your bulletin. Make a joyful noise to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. Because of your great power, your enemies cringe before you. All the earth worships you. They sing praises to you. Sing praises to your name. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept us among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid burdens on our backs. You let people ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out to a spacious place. Come and hear, all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he, was done, what he has done for me. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened. He has given heed to the words of my prayer. And so let us stand and praise God together.
this morning as we sing Psalm 118. The praise team is going to lead out in church. You're going to sing His love endures forever. Thanks to the Let us be seated as we continue in worship. Oh Lord, purify my heart. Let me be as gold and precious silver.
But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. My friends, hear the good news. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake, I will send to Babylon and break down all the bars and the shouting of the Chaldeans will be turned to lamentation. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. I, I am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Thanks be to God. Amen. I know that you have revived me, my hope is sure. 
fire. Water that we think we are sinking, we are up to our necks. Fire that we think is going to consume us. And we wonder if there is a tomorrow. This has been the experience of the people of God throughout the centuries. We read our text this morning from Daniel chapter 3. The story, a very famous story of the burning fiery furnace. Chapter 3 of Daniel, verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought in. So they brought those men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods and you do not worship the golden statue that I have set up? Now, if you are ready when you hear the music to fall down and worship the statue that I have made, well and good. No musical accompaniment this morning. (laughs) But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. If our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and out of your hand, O king, let him deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your God's and we will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was so filled with rage against the three that his face was distorted. He ordered the furnace heated up seven times more than was customary and ordered some of the strongest guards in his army to bind the three and to throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So the men were bound, still wearing their tunics, their trousers, their hats, and their other garments. And they were thrown in the furnace of blazing fire. Because the king's command was urgent and the furnace was so overheated, the raging flames Kill the men who lifted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But the three men fell down, bound into the furnace of blazing fire. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up quickly. He said to his counselors, Was it not three men that we threw bound into the fire? And they answered the king, True, O king. And he replied, But I see four men, unbound, walking in the middle of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the fourth has the appearance of a god. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and said, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So they came out from the fire 
And all the representatives of the government gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their tunics were not harmed, and not even the smell of fire came from them. Nebuchadnezzar said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. They disobeyed the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that utters blasphemy against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other god who is able to deliver in this way And then the king promoted the three in the province of Babylon. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We struggle, if we deal with these texts honestly, we struggle with the awareness that we live in a world where terrible things may happen. where evil seems to be let loose in a world and innocent people get thrown into blazing fires. No fault to them, just there are forces, there are powers, there are principalities, there are spirits, demonic forces at work in our world, and we cannot help but forget some of the blazing furnaces that we've seen from the World Trade Center with people jumping out of that fiery furnace to pictures of exploding atomic bombs, to to stories that come to us out of the past that cause us to ask, why did God create a world like this? Where is God when we need Him? How is it that not everyone gets rescued or delivered, that there are martyrs? Nevertheless, the people of God have, throughout their history, moved through times and discovered over and over again that a fourth man has appeared in the fiery furnace with us and for us. Who was the fourth man in the furnace with the three? Some have said that it was Daniel himself, but Daniel doesn't appear in the story. How can that be? Others have said it was an angel that came down from God that simply appeared there to deliver and brought a a sweet and a powerful and a moist wind whispering through the furnace that protected the three. There's some evidence that it was an angel. But I read this story... And I think the fourth man in the furnace was Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, who carried within his own life, within his own body, within his soul, a fire more powerful than any fire upon this earth. 
the fire of the glory of God that traveled with Israel in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. A fire that burned in the bush and yet the bush was not disintegrated. A voice that spoke from that bush. I've seen my people. I've heard their cries. I know their misery in Egypt. And I am moved with compassion to come down and help them, to deliver them. And I'm sending you to Pharaoh to say to O Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses gave every excuse possible, but finally accepted the commission, the call to go down to Egypt and to lead the people from time to time throughout the history of Israel. The people of God captured just a glimpse of the presence and the power of the fourth man. Present with them to deliver them. In deep waters, when the waters were coming up to their necks, when they were drowning, Or in times of fire and the destruction of Jerusalem, seeing the temple burned down and the people carried away into captivity, where the three and perhaps a few other Jews who were taken into captivity could sing and yet could not sing the Lord's song in a foreign land. Babylon, you devastator, you, was all the people could cry in Psalm 137. And yet the fire continued and the presence of the Lord continued. And one came into our world whose name was Emmanuel, God with us. And when he left this world on the day of his ascension, the promise that he made to his disciples was I will be with you to the end of the age. It's a long story, and there's great evil to overcome, but this one who has promised always to be with his people is the one who in his life, death, and resurrection so brought assurance to us that in that death and resurrection that God has acted to make atonement for the sins of the world. And he's promised to pour out his spirit upon us and to empower us for our mission in a dangerous world. If I were to sell you Christianity this morning and tell you you're never going to have any problems, that the waters are never going to get too deep in your life, or the fires are, are never going to get too hot for you, I'd be lying to you. I've got to tell you the truth about Christian experience. And there are many who have been martyrs for the faith. Somehow, in the context of God's providence and loving care, persons like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who are willing to trust God whatever the circumstances of their lives because they knew in life and in death they belonged to God. 
and nothing could separate them from the presence of God. But how difficult it is for us to believe that when we're walking through the deep waters or when we're, we've been cast into the fiery furnace or maybe simply stumbled into the fire ourselves with no one else involved. That's the reality. The good news is that whether we live or whether we die, there's the fourth man. The message of Christianity is that God is not in some distant heaven, but has come into the human experience, into human history, and has shared every weakness that we have, has been tempted and tested in every way that we have, who laid down his life upon the cross to reconcile us to himself and us to one another for the sake of saving and delivering the whole cosmos. And that story of salvation is going on. It's still going on, folks. And the battle still rages. But there's the fourth man or the fourth woman who in mysterious ways keeps showing up in our life and in the life and the story of the church that has gone about its mission in a dangerous world. I started free associating in my own life story and how so often in the very difficult times of my life I I was so blind that I couldn't see the fourth man. Right out of seminary, ordained, freshly installed in a church, I went through an experience where I found myself in a fiery furnace. And I felt terribly alone, and I resigned the call to that church, and I thought my life in ministry was finished. And then one day, an attorney in that church who practiced law in uh, Los Angeles and who represented many clients up on Bunker Hill where all the great buildings for Los Angeles are being built now. There were a lot of Victorian homes there. And a lot of poor people hanging on. And Floyd Norris was determined to represent them all. He himself owned a garage there and he was trying to get the best settlement he could for those folks. And he asked me one day as I was leaving the church, he said, Jerry, you need a job. Suddenly I realized I, in fact, needed a job. <laughs> and he said, well, you've got one in my office. I need your help. The truth was I deeply needed him. And he was the fourth man who came into my life and put his arms around me and mentored me and counseled me and shared his wisdom with me and held me secure through the dark night and through the fiery furnace. And when he settled with the governmental agency and sold his building where he knew that giant buildings were going to be built, 
a part of that settlement was he said, how much you still owe in your car? And I told him, he says, well, I'm writing out a check and we're going to pay that in full. The fourth man, his son later became one of the major writers for the New York Times, the business section. He was in my youth group. See him from time to time. Floyd and Martha were right out of Oklahoma who had suffered enough to have the compassion of God in their lives to come and walk along beside so many people from the rich and the poor ended up doing both of their memorial service at Forest Lawn. I loved him. I loved Floyd like he was my father. Tough Democrat though he was. And then there was George. George P. Smith. I was considering going to, to law school. Decided to take some courses at California State University in government. He had only recently received his Ph.D. from Claremont. And, and taking his classes, he said to me one day, he said, Jerry, how would you like to write a book with me? And so we began to work on that book and did the weekly study together and talk together to debate together. He ended up joining our church in La Cañada. I married him, I know, at least once, even though I know he had several wives. <laughs> and one day he said to me, Jerry, you do not want to go to law school. You have the mind of a, of a philosopher and a theologian and a pastor. working with him and going through all the ups and downs of his life so off. He helped anchor me in this world with a worldview and with knowledge of reality and the ambiguity of reality and the fallenness of human nature. When I married him to one of his wives, he said, I want you to ask that question of the congregation. Does anyone here have a reason why these two ought not to be married? I was scared to death. <laughs> that knowing George, that someone was going to stand up and protest. He was afraid his ex-wife was going to show up. I learned this, this is the kind of things that happen in your life. When you're a pastor, you get to know people pretty well, and you find that the line of sin runs through every human heart, and that there is great brokenness in the most redeemed people that you can know. And our call is to come into that fire and to stand along beside one another and to be there and to hold one another. And he was the fourth man me and I was 
a fourth man to him. Thought my life in the ministry was over until Gary Denvers came into my life at La Cañada Church. He'd had a similar experience as I'd had in the earlier years. He invited me to join his staff while I was doing my doctoral work. And he and that wonderful congregation in La Cañada held my life. They were the fourth man. Gary merrily helped me and Kay to frame the possibilities of our life together as husband and wife in a new beginning. And she became the fourth woman to me. Not the fourth wife, but <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. And it was so much fun. One of the first women I got to know in that church was a woman named Alma. And she was a very older lady. My job was to call upon the shut-ins. And I, she was one of the first persons I visited in that church. Alma loved the Dodgers. Her whole family loved the Dodgers. Her kids were part of the establishment of the Roman Catholic Archdiocese in Los Angeles. And they were very much involved. And one of the grandsons was named O'Malley. She was a southern charmer, if there ever was one, and she walked with a cane and she bent over and she couldn't sleep at night and she would share with me and uh, what that was about, but she always listened to the Dodgers. She got to be rolling over in her grave this morning. She was the first, fourth woman whose words of affirmation and encouragement to me at a time in my life where that meant everything. It was that whole Presbytery of Los Angeles that voted to affirm my life and ministry of continuing in ministry and wrote it on the records. It was like the whole church came along beside me in the fiery furnace. The Presbytery became the fourth man who gave me back my life. Sometimes when you're going through it, it's not clear if the fourth man or woman have shown up. All you know is that you're in the fire and that somehow you're not being destroyed. Came down to Laguna Beach became a part of a wonderful congregation of fourth men and women who have repeatedly come around my life and held me and loved me and affirmed me and listened to me all these years. And by no means has it been deep waters or fiery furnaces there's been a lot of calm waters and a lot of walking on water and just outright celebrating. This next year we're going to celebrate the faithfulness of God for a hundred years of being present with us, his humble, broken disciples. What a treat. My early years here, I gave one of my impassioned stewardship sermons 
And the following week, a husband and wife, an older couple in our church, showed up in my office one night and said, young man, young pastor, we think we may be the answer to your prayers. And sure enough, they began to give in significant ways, as did many of you in this congregation. And you held the mission of this church, really the mission of Jesus Christ, the church whose head is Jesus. And we made it through those years. There was a, an older gentleman and his wife, Bill and Dorothy Thompson, who came here from, from Omaha, Nebraska, every winter. And I looked forward to them coming. And oftentimes, we would have lunch together, or we would, on Sunday afternoons, we'd have brunch together, and it would extend, and we'd be in their home and have these wonderful conversations. Discovered he was a pastor and a psychologist and a head of the psychology department at the University of Nebraska and Omaha. And uh, much later did I discover that he was the father-in-law of Warren Buffett. And when Bill died, the family wanted me to come back and be with them there in Omaha for the service. I was not able to, but... We were going through the raising funds for this building. I wrote a letter to Warren telling him about this relationship with his father-in-law and mother-in-law and uh, with his family. Wanted to know if he'd like to make a contribution to help us in this $14 million project. Warren passed on that letter his daughter Susan on three occasions she, she made contributions to this building of nearly three million dollars in honor of her grandfather who came along beside me and I came along beside them and we grew to love each other we were fourth men and women to each other And so the story goes on, and oftentimes it's in the midst of great laughter, sometimes in sadness. Heard the news this morning about Don, who's passed on. For months, Don and I have been planning her memorial service, and she knew this day was coming. And she was a humble servant who loved the Lord. Many of you didn't know her. She had oftentimes come to Wednesday morning Bible study. She always called me Pastor Jerry. What a gift. She was the fourth woman. Last June, for a few days, I, I went back to Maine to be with Tom McGill and Al Halfway at Tom's summer home there on the lake the second time what a great time that was of enjoyment together and, uh, and one evening we were out on the 
the deck area that had been glassed in. And I kind of walked into the room. They were already there. I think we had just had our gin and tonics. Walked in, and I closed the door. And then I realized the door was locked from the inside the house. And we were trapped in the room without a telephone book, with only one cell phone. And we began the scheme of how we were going to get out of that room. We're out in the deep forest. There's not a close neighbor. And so El decided he was going to make a rope using Tom's pants and his own and was going to go over the balcony down to about 15 feet. And I looked over, and there was Tom in his underwear, and L was hanging over the balcony. And I was wondering, where is all this going? <laughs> Finally, L decided better he could not do this, and we were able to retrieve him from the balcony. Tom says, the only answer we have is to call Laguna Beach, call Sally, his wife, and see if she would call her mother Martha, who lived on the other side of the lake. And sure enough, she did. And I understand laughter was going on all over Laguna <laughs> about these three pillars here of the Laguna Presbyterian Church who were trapped in a room in a forest who could not extricate themselves. And in about an hour, we discovered that 90-year-old Martha had driven around the lake in the darkness of the night by herself, and she stood at the glass door inside with that beautiful, radiant smile on her face. And she simply opened the door <laughs> for us and let us out of our fiery furnace. <laughs> She was so happy, and I was really happy that we got out. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. were thrown into the fire that should have consumed them and turned them to ashes like that. But it didn't. Because the fourth man was there in the fire. It was Jesus. And I don't know if you're, what water you're walking through or what fire you find your life in this morning. But I want you to know there's one who wants to, and who is walking with you and is for you. Who has his arms around you and the call of the gospel this morning is for us to open our eyes and to open our hearts, to listen with our ears and simply recall all those times when he's been there with us and delivered us and saved us, when we least expected it, when we had no hope. Somehow we're still here today and on the moment of our death, He will carry us still into his eternal presence 
And in the fullness of time, there will be a new creation. And we, with all of God's saints, will be able to listen to the story of salvation that has brought hope and healing and eternal life to us. Join me in prayer. Merciful God, we turn to you this morning. We thank you that you are with us. We ask you to baptize our memories and help us to recall how great you are and how mysterious your ways are in the world, far beyond our understanding. Some of us carry memories that we can barely stand to recall. And our memories need to be healed. So we would ask that the tender, moist wind of your Spirit will blow through our souls and restore us and transform us. Fill us with your glory, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Through the storm, all is well ever.
When the Apostle Paul was getting ready to visit the church in Rome, he wrote in his letter to them, I want to come to you so that I can impart a blessing to you. And then he thought to himself, wait a minute, it works both ways. He said, but also so that you can impart a blessing to me. The fourth man, the fourth woman, you're the one, you're the man, you're the woman. And God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Be the fourth men and women for your family, for this church, for this community, for our nation in this time of great need. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.